This is the Foot in the Box podcast for the week of Monday, November 13th. Welcome to episode 136 of the Foot in the Box podcast. My name is Peter Elliott, and I am uh, by myself here recording this intro. Uh, My brother Paul Elliott um, is not needed for this week's episode because it's a special one. Uh, Paul is not needed for this week's episode uh, because I will also not be needed here uh, after just a couple minutes. Uh, This week's episode is a look back at the 2017 Astros season. Uh, this is something we started last year with the Cubs, but uh, because we do a, a weekly podcast, we talk about uh, different teams throughout the year, and especially if the team is good and goes on a World Series run, we have lots of content, lots of good interviews with people about that team. Uh, so this year uh, was just the same as the Cubs last year. We talked about the Astros quite a bit throughout the course of the season, um, and so today's podcast is simply uh, an hour or so of content throughout the year uh, put together to kind of encompass the 2017 uh, Houston Astros. Uh, We've got an interview with um, Michael Coffin, the AA Astros announcer. Uh, He had a really unique perspective on watching a lot of the the young Astros uh, studs come up through the system. So interviewed him actually before the season. Uh, We have two interviews with James from Astros County. Uh, our uh, our Astros guy, he is great. Check out his work uh, at astroscounty.com. Um, interviewed him once during the season, then once going into the playoffs. Uh, we also did a deep dive on the Astrodome, so we'll uh, we'll put part of that in in this week's episode and uh, a lot more. So hope you enjoy uh, this week's episode. Uh, next week we'll be back to do a 2017 season recap, kind of one last final look back on the um, 2017 baseball season. Uh, and then we'll also kind of look ahead to the off season and then talk about what the future of our podcast and website is um, as we look forward to uh, 2018. Uh, well, thanks so much for listening. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter at a foot in the box and find us online at a foot in the box.com. Hope you have a great week and uh, hope to have you back again next week when we Uh, recap the 2017 season but enjoy the 2017 astros uh, look back with a foot in the box podcast content this is the foot in the box podcast for the week of monday february 20th our guest on this week's podcast is michael coffin he is the director of broadcasting for the corpus christi hooks the double a affiliate of the houston astros he is the the radio play-by-play announcer uh, Michael, welcome to our podcast. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. You can follow uh, Michael on Twitter at CoffinMJC. Well, Michael, uh, a lot of things we want to ask you about. I guess to start out with, though, uh, you've been with the Hooks since 2012. Maybe just walk us through your, your career in baseball thus far. Well, I started uh, broadcasting the games regularly in, in 2012. Uh, my old boss, Matt Hicks, 
got uh, the call to uh, work on the Rangers uh, radio broadcast. So uh, once he got that gig, I kind of slided, slided in backwards uh, doing it and uh, been doing it ever since. It's been a lot of fun. But uh, actually started here in Corpus Christi in 2007 as an intern. So um, it's, been a, it's been a long, uh, long journey thus far. Did you grow up an uh, Astros fan? I did. I grew up a huge Astros fan. The great thing about baseball is that, you know, you really feel like you're part of a team uh, watching it every night. And, you know, me and my dad would sit down and from 7 o'clock to 10, you knew what we were doing. And uh, it was it was a lot of fun. And you you really develop a, a love for the game, love for the Astros, you know, doing that. So, uh, you know, from Bagwell to, to mm-hmm. Biggio to Luis Gonzalez, Steve Finley, all those guys, and Milo Hamilton and Bill Brown, Jim Deshays, uh, Larry Durker, uh, you know, I was fully uh, involved and indoctrinated into, to all the Astros uh, stuff for sure. That's awesome. Well, you uh, came on my radar because there was an article in the Houston Chronicle last uh, June about uh, your opportunity to call two major league games uh, in June against the the Cardinals in St. Louis. Uh, was that your that was your major league debut? Is that right? For a regular season game? I had actually uh, done a, a game against uh, with the Astros against Seattle at home at Minute Maid Park okay. earlier in the season. So I've done three uh, regular season games uh, all last year, and it was a, it was a surreal experience for sure. Yeah, I guess growing up uh, an Astros fan, that must have been uh, just incredibly special to to be able to call those games. It was and nerve wracking. You know, uh, <laughs> you just you just say, you know, dear Lord, please don't screw up. Uh, <laughs> But uh, it, was, it was a lot of fun, and uh, working with uh, Robert Ford and Steve Sparks and the producer engineer Matt Boltz, uh, those guys really made it easy. And uh, you know, outside of all the stuff leading up to it, you know, the the big league spread in the press box, and uh, certainly the big big time ballpark. But you know, once the game got started, you kind of settle in and say, you know what, okay, I've done this before. So it it was a lot of fun. It was a, a great experience, and. Uh, Really appreciative of it. And the Astros won both games against the Cardinals. Yes, and they won a game against Seattle. So I'm three and zero, guys. I got my hundred percent percentage. So uh, we're good to go, man. Yeah, Michael. I, you know, you mentioned you've been kind of working in the minors for gosh a decade now, and I feel like one of the maybe stereotypes of working in the minors is just that it's an absolute grind. The long bus rides, the, the odd sleep schedules. You know, the pay isn't isn't great. And yet you seem to have taken all that in stride and remain pretty optimistic. And in fact, I was reading um, a write up online. I'm sure you've seen this <laughs> that uh, said, and I quote, uh, Coffin is so cheerful. He could call play by play on a kamikaze flight. So I guess my, my question is kind of what's been your secret? How have you remained uh, so optimistic, so positive uh, on a day to day level in such a, in such a grind. Well, it is a grind. You know, our schedule is 140 games, and I think we play that 150 days. So uh, there's not much in terms of off days. Hmm. And, uh, you know, here we are in Corpus Christi. We're not close to anywhere outside of San Antonio in our league. So, uh, you know, next to our, our second shortest trip is to uh, Frisco, Texas, which is seven hours away. Our longest trip is to Springfield, Missouri, which is 14 so the bus rides are, are very long. Fortunately, I'm extremely short, so uh, I don't have to stretch <laughs> out. That but, uh, but no, you know, 
you just you love the game, and uh, I just can't imagine doing anything else than uh, than showing up at the ballpark every day. It's uh, it's, it's quite an honor, and uh, it's been a great experience here. Uh, you know, I don't, I'm not as um, I guess uh, tenured in terms of the uh, the whole landscape uh, because I've only worked for you know one organization, well, two, including the Astros now that own us, but, uh, you know, I came up uh, as a Ryan Sanders employee. Uh, uh, Nolan Ryan and his sons, uh, Reed and Reese, uh, founded the ball club here, founded the ball club in Round Rock, along with uh, Don Sanders, a Houston businessman. And, uh, you know, they really made it a family environment. And, uh, you know, I, I was an intern here for a couple of years. I mean, I came back. And so I just really enjoyed the experience. And I think it I think it, you know, it goes beyond the, the game of baseball and the industry is that, you know, if you really appreciate the folks that you work for and work with, it, it makes it easy and it makes you, you know, want to come back. So that's, that's really been my story. And with, with the Astros Rebuild, I feel like you've had a really interesting perspective on uh, some of their really good young players that have come through up to the system. So just, uh, I looked over some some of the guys they have in, the, in their track uh, through double-A. Uh, George Springer in 2013 uh, had 19 homers in about 70 games. Uh, Carlos Correa in 2015 just dominated. 29 games, had a uh, slugging percentage of 726. And then Alex Bregman last year had a 416 on base percentage. Uh, do you have a favorite of, of that bunch or maybe someone outside of, uh, of those three guys? Uh, you know, one of the guys uh, is kind of in that, you know, uh, segment and uh, that, that generation is, is Lance McCullers. And, uh, you know, Lance injury plagued the big league season last year. But, uh, you know, he, he is just one of those guys that, that goes out there and gets after it. And uh, he's, he, he's uh, tremendous, uh, a big time fastball, a, a great curveball, but more so the, the mentality. You know, I remember talking with him in, uh, in 15 in Tulsa uh, before we had our home opener. And it was an interview. And I, I said, Lance, you know, you know, what can the fans at Whataburger Field expect when they see you on the mound? Just kind of give them a preview. And he's like, I'm striking everybody out. You know, that's, <laughs> that's what people like to see. You know, and that's just, that's Lance. That's just his uh, personality. But, uh, you know, guys like Joe Musgrove, another uh, pitcher, uh, you know, it, it's it's been, we've been on the front lines uh, here in Corpus Christi. And, you know, the Astro system, they, they went through a, a rough patch, you know, from, from 2007 to 2011. It, it was not good baseball here. But, uh, We've been uh, certainly uh, you know, blessed of late. I, I was looking back, and since 1950 in the Texas League, there's only been five cases of a, of a Texas League club posting back-to-back 80-win seasons, and the Hooks have done that twice now since 2012, hmm. uh, back-to-back 12 and 13, back-to-back in 15 and 16. So uh, the wins have been there. Uh, they've been in the postseason, and you know it's nice to walk into the Astros clubhouse uh, and see all the familiar faces. I mean, they're all former hooks and, mm-hmm. uh, Houston is going the, you know, the homegrown route. You know, they had some pieces this year through, uh, free agency and trades that, you know, will augment the production at the big league level. Uh, but they've really done it to the system and, uh, you know, have, have set themselves up to be successful for the foreseeable future. Yeah, that's great. Uh, any guys that you're excited to to watch this year at Double A, or maybe guys that you watched last year that we should keep our eye on in the system? Yeah, you know, one guy that, uh, that that's going to be fun to watch in spring training for the Astros uh, is uh, outfielder Ramon Laureano. Uh, he uh, played for the Hooks last year toward the end of the season. 
uh, hit 323. This kid's uh, 21 years old, uh, five home runs in 36 games uh, in the Texas League, and was uh, was just outstanding in terms of getting on base and also having some power to gaps. Uh, a couple of pitchers stand out. One is a, a, a guy from Cuba, Rogelio Almenteros, uh, 22 years old, made only three starts uh, at the end of the season last year, but uh, had really good numbers uh, overall, uh, you know, giving his time in Lancaster and in Corpus Christi. And a guy named uh, Trent Thornton is someone that we're looking out for that uh, hopefully can anchor our rotation this year. Again, he uh, was in Lancaster for much of the year, but finished the season in Corpus Christi and, uh, you know, had 35 strikeouts against just five walks and seven starts. So, uh, you know, it, pitching really has been the cornerstone to what Corpus Christi in particular has done the last uh, four and five years. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, I assume one of the, the painful parts of your job is, is seeing guys that uh, don't pan out the way that you're hoping for. So you called the stretch of Mark Appel's career about 20 starts or so. He was the number one pick in the 2013 draft, uh, born in Houston. Uh, as an announcer, I'm sure you, you really root for guys like that. What emotions do you feel when uh, things don't pan out, you know, the way that fans or uh, the team would hope? Well, you know, I think, you know, all too often, you know, and, and I'm a fan first and foremost, and, you know, you get consumed by the numbers, but you have to realize that uh, kids are, you know, 20, 21 years old. They're away from home for the first time, and they've been elite in terms of their talent level, whether it's in Little League, high school. I mean, they, they've been the, the cream of the crop. And in Mark's case, uh, you know, in college, I mean, he was one of the, mm-hmm. the top collegiate pitchers, you know, at Stanford. And then all of a sudden you become a pro and then you, you, you're, you know, you have to rely on more than that sheer talent and whether it's injuries or just sometimes it doesn't pan out. So, you know, it's a, there's a human aspect of this game. That's, you know, the, the best part of this game. And so I think that is one of the uh, responsibilities of broadcasters in particular and sports writers is to, to bring those elements out and, uh, you can't hit 100% of these guys. I mean, you know, the NFL draft and the NBA draft is a far different mm-hmm. uh, beast than the Major League Baseball draft. So, uh, and it's that way for a reason. You know, baseball is a very difficult sport, tough to project. Uh, and, uh, you know, Mark is one of those guys that uh, hopefully uh, he's going to figure it out, you know, down the road and, and be successful. Yeah, I guess kind of building off that, you know, you look at a guy like A.J. Reed, who just dominated in 2015 um, in the minors. I think he had an OPS over a thousand. He's named the best offensive player in the organization named the baseball America minor league all-star. And yet, you know, he comes up and hits around 150 last year. Do you feel like you've pinpointed at all, you know, what makes some guys pan out, what makes some guys fizzle, you know, not to say Reed, he's still what, 20, 24, 25. Yeah. Yeah, he's got a bright future ahead of him, but do you feel like you've kind of pinpointed that at all, or is it still kind of a mystery for you? Well, you know, it just, you know, when when, uh, when the 2015 season ended, and here Reed is, he's got, he has the most home runs in all of minor league baseball, and, and uh, you know, just the way that he prepares and gets ready for the game, you know, I, I thought the adjustment wouldn't be that drastic for him. You know, it, it's still very difficult, you know, to go from, a double A and a pretty stint triple A all the way to the big leagues. And, uh, you know, for, for guys, it, it just takes time. I mean, look at Alex Bregman, the start he had last year, mm-hmm. and then finished the year hitting over 300, 320 in his last 20 games or so. And, and he's, the, he's going to be the starting third baseman for the Astros. So, 
it, it, it just takes time. And, you know, the Astros are in a position now where, you know, they sign, you know, Beltron and McCann, those guys come over. And so you, you want to win now. And, and the chances for Reed are going to be in spring training. He's not going to get as much rope. You know, I think we'll see Goriel play at first base for the Astros unless Reed just has a, a phenomenal spring. Uh, but, you know, certainly I think, you know, he's going to be able to, to figure it out. And one of the things is people talk about long swings and maybe has a hole somewhere. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't know enough about, you know, what I'm talking about to, to dissect that and to, to see what coaches are looking at. But, uh, you know, when, when, when guys have that big power stroke, you know, they need to hit for average. And, uh, you know, when, when you hit, uh, 320 in the Texas league, that can translate to, you know, 270 sometimes in the big leagues. And you, you have to account for this stuff. Wrapping up here, uh, appreciate your time. Uh, Pakoda, uh, projected this past week that the Astros would win 94 games. That's the most in the American League, second most in baseball behind the Dodgers. Uh, this caught, I think, a lot of people by surprise um, coming off uh, last year where they didn't make the playoffs. Uh, you've had, a, like we said, a really interesting perspective on watching a lot of these guys come through. Did the, this sort of projection uh, surprise you? Um, what uh, What's your outlook on the 2017 Astros no, I, season? I think they're yeah, I think they're a talented team. They certainly have made a bunch of moves. And I think those projections, you know, figure into how much run, how many runs they're going to score, you know, any given night. And you look at that lineup, it's incredibly deep. Mm-hmm. Uh, the bullpen is good. Uh, you know, with guys like, uh, um, Gregerson and Harris bridging the gap to, to Ken Giles as a closer and, uh, Chris Davinsky, one of the all time characters, uh, one of the great, you know, greater pitchers to, to pitch here. Uh, has just found a, a tremendous role as, as a back-end guy in the bullpen as well, and as a long guy. Uh, he's a guy to watch out for as well. Uh, you know, he had one of the better uh, years in, in the American League in terms of uh, rookie relievers, in fact, not the best. Um, but you know, for the Astros, I think the biggest question mark, and this is no secret, everybody's talking about it, is the starting staff. You know, and and a healthy Lance McCullers and a healthy Dallas Keuchel, and you know. Colin McHugh, those guys are going to have to step up and, and, and make an impact. And uh, while I do think there are some great internal options, you know, like a, a Joe Musgrove, a Francis Martes, I think they're going to have to go out and acquire an arm. And I think they will, you know, at the trading deadline or heck, even, you know, uh, early on in the season or before uh, they, they, they break camp. So I, I think one more uh, starter would, would certainly uh, bolster their efforts uh, in 2017. Well, Michael, uh, thanks uh, thanks so much for joining us. Uh, best of luck uh, this year and in the future. We'll be following your career. Yeah, great. Great. Uh, thanks for having me. I had a great time and look forward to uh, listening down the road. This is the Foot in the Box podcast for the week of Monday, March 27th. All right, the Astros at 89.5. I took the over. I really like the Astros offense. Bergman at third, Cray at short, Altuve at second. That's like my favorite uh, infield in baseball. I'm a huge Carlos Correa fan. I think he could have a just enormous year MVP candidate. And they've added in some nice veteran pieces, Beltran and Redick. I think they overpaid for them, but I think they could complement those guys well. Uh, their staff, starting staff, uh, could be bad, but uh, I think their offense will make up for it. So mm-hmm. I'm taking the over, uh, and I think they're going to win the AL East pretty easily, or AL West pretty easily. 
Yeah, I also like the Astros. I'm taking the over. Tell me if I'm way off here, but the the Astros remind me of the Dodgers and the Red Sox remind me of the Cubs in just in terms of uh depth. Um Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Uh I mean they've got guys all over the place. They've got a guy, AJ Reed, first baseman, who is one of their best prospects, led the minors in home runs, but doesn't have a position to play. Mm-hmm. So I think they're really deep, really solid, and will uh will win the AL West. Shout out to our boy Michael Coffin. Yeah. Double A affiliate there. Uh, Pakota has them at 93 wins, which is uh, the most wins in the American League. So they got the over. This is the Foot in the Box podcast for the week of Monday, May 22nd. This week's guest on the podcast is James from Astros County. Uh, You can follow him on Twitter at Astros County and find his writing about the Astros at astroscounty.com. Welcome to our podcast, James. Hey, thanks for having me. No problem. Appreciate you joining us. Before we get going, just I'd like to give listeners some context uh, for your Astros fandom. How long have you been following the team, and how long have you been writing about uh, the Astros? I grew up in Houston, so so it's been you know it's been a while. Um, the I guess I started Astros County back in 2008. So we're going on, uh, this will be the ninth anniversary of, of Astros County. So fan for a really long time and, and has sort of devoted some time writing about the team for almost nine years now. That's awesome. Uh, well, this year's team has arguably been the best in baseball. Uh, they started out 29-12 and 12, uh, before losing the last uh, couple to the Indians, but uh, they still have the best run differential in the American League. Uh, best ERA in baseball, top 10 offense. Give me the current pulse of, of Astros fans. Are they pretty pumped about the 2017 team? Yeah, I think everyone's pretty excited. Um, losing two to the Indians has made some people think it's 2013 all over again. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but overall, I think everyone's really excited. So, you know, they're an exciting team, and they can win games in a bunch of different ways. And, and it's uh, people are actually showing up to the ballpark, and they're watching on TV, and yeah, there's a, there's a different vibe around Astros fans this year. Going back a few years, uh, the Astros kind of were the first classic uh, tanking, I guess is is the word that people use. I'm not sure how accurate that is, but uh, as a Cubs fan myself... Oh, that's pretty accurate, yeah. <laughs> as a Cubs fan myself, you know, I'm, I know the process of just losing for several years to try to get good uh, for a long stretch of time, and the records for those... Uh, Astros teams in 2011, 2012, and 2013 are staggering. 56 and 106, 55 and 107, and then in 2013, 51 and 111. Uh, that was like smack dab in the middle of your your blogging. Uh, what was it like to to just watch uh, terrible baseball uh, for three years in a row? It was awful. Um, I actually spent more time looking at the minor league side of the Astros organization just because there, that's where the hope was. So to, I, I mean, they were, those teams were so terrible. And like each year you thought, okay, that has to have been it. Like it, it's got to get better from here. And then the next year would be worse. And then the next year was, was even worse. So it was just awful. And I mean, it, it, at one point it just became about like street cred as far as like keep saying I was an Astros fan and watching games and being on Twitter like I wanted people to know, <laughs> like I was gonna, I'll sit there, you know, it's 11:45 on a Tuesday night, 
and watch the Astros get beat 11 to one by the Mariners, you know, <laughs> because I wanted, uh, I, I just want, it was a shared mutual miserable experience. Mm-hmm. As a side, uh, what was it like when the, the Astros switched leagues? You know, I grew up watching the Astros play the Cubs a lot. Was that something that Astros fans cared about at all when they switched to uh, the American League? Yeah, I was. I mean, I don't think anybody was real excited about it. Um, there was sort of this idea that you know we feel like we felt like we have actual rivalries with the Cubs and the Cardinals and the Reds and the Pirates and Sea League and Major League Baseball kind of forced the Rangers on us. And and I mean it was it was tied to switching leagues was tied to the sale of the Astros to Jim Crane. So we sort of had to decide do we are what are we more mad about? Do we want the the new owner to come in and kind of change things up or are we just that upset about having to move to the American League? So it was just a weird situation that it was I think we all just sort of resigned ourselves to understanding like there's nothing we can do about it. So hmm. what well, there's a lot of things we could be mad about. Is, is this is this one of them? So I mean, it was just sort of resigned to to it happening. So is, is the is the Astros Rangers rivalry an, an actual rivalry? Or does it still feel pretty forced? Well, now it is. Um, although, you know, I mean, the Astros did win did win three or four earlier this season, but typically in a rivalry, one team there needs to be a balance of wins, which hasn't really been the case for the last two years as the Rangers have. They're just full of witchcraft and dark magic and the occult uh, and human sacrifice and how they win games and how they beat the Astros and how often they beat the Astros. So, no, it's it's a real rivalry now. It just felt forced at the time. Sounds like how I feel about the Cardinals uh, most years. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so the Astros uh, have just one playoff appearance in the last 11 years. Um and that one appearance was a, a devastating loss to the Royals when they were up uh, 6-2 Ooh. in the eighth inning in Game 4. Um, I think that's a pretty underrated collapse. Or, you know, kind of, kind of it's not talked about in, in, in the lineage of, of those sorts of moments. Um, but, right. you know, they were up four runs in the eighth inning in Game 4 of that series and uh, ended up losing in five to the Royals. Uh, so it seems like Astros fans... Uh, have a long history of, of heartbreak, especially in the postseason. Uh, is that something that's uh, true? Is it accurate? And, and are Astros fans kind of reluctant to really embrace a team because of that? I don't think they're reluctant to embrace the team because of it. But, but yes, it's true that there's been some heartbreak, you know, associated with the Astros and, and in, really with Houston in general. I mean, if you think about like the Oilers when they lost that playoff game to the Bills hmm. when they were up 35 to 3. Like it's just sort of the curse of Houston sports. So, um, yeah, that that loss against the Royals was, I mean, that's one of the, it's sort of like with the Albert Pujols home run mm-hmm. uh, in the 2005 NLCS. Like it's one of those, I remember exactly where I was as this unfolded. Um, I don't think it makes people reluctant to embrace the team, but I think it, it does sort of, re, you know, the Astros are 29 and 14 and, you know, just lost two games have lost two games in a row to a, to a pretty good team and and people are freaking out because something bad always seems to happen like there's there's no lead that is safe with the Astros and that you can always count on some sort of disaster just around the corner so it's not a it's just sort of how it is for it's built into Houston fan psyche 
Uh, all right, just a couple more questions. Uh, first question, so the, the tanking from 2011, 2013, that kind of era, obviously now they're good again, so it seems like it paid off. But really those teams, uh, it really only led to Correa and then Bregman uh, later on. So looking back, do you think the, the, taking, the tanking was necessary? Yeah, I mean, I don't think... I, I think that they were smart to go about it the way that they did. Uh, and, you know, there's there's no guarantee that, that trading everybody and, and relying on draft. I mean, Brady Aiken, you know, everyone kind of knows what happened there. Mm-hmm. Mark Appel hasn't panned out. Um, so it's, it's not like you lose 111 games here. There's guaranteed success down the road. I mean, there's always a number of things that can go wrong. Um, but one of the things that, that comes with tanking that I think is – is sort of under under examined is you know when the Astros had a payroll of twenty five million dollars that was their opening day payroll in two thousand thirteen I think mm. um, you know how much money are they saving for the future like like were they you know and I'm, all baseball teams are profitable otherwise they'd be getting sold left and right but you know how much money were the Astros bank were, were the Astros banking over those years in order to prepare to pay Jose Altuve or Carlos Correa or George Springer or Dallas Keuchel, you know, that, that there's a financial side to it that, you know, why would you go spend, and it, and it goes beyond just payroll for that guy. Like, why would you spend, like, I remember when the, when the Cubs, you know, signed Edwin Jackson, right? Well, okay, <laughs> cool. How much money does he cost? And, and that's, you know, you can't allocate your funds a little bit better. And mm-hmm. I understand you have, you want to look like you're not trying to piss all over you know, baseball history and, and the game itself. But, but how much money did the Astros save for three or four years, you know, while they, while they knew they weren't going to be very good in order to you to have that sort of in the bank in reserve uh, for when the Astros really needed it. Yeah. The, the Edwin Jackson signing is the one uh, Theo move that I just never really heard a, a good explanation for <laughs> just a, an awful, awful pitcher. Uh, last question: uh, the, the Astros are 17th in attendance. I just looked uh, at just under 28,000 fans per game. That's actually up from last year and up considerably from where they were during um, the rebuilding years. Do uh, you feel like that's a, uh, an ever increasing uh, sort of thing? Will they keep rising as the as the team keeps winning? Yeah, I think so. Um, <clears throat> you know, yesterday yesterday the Astros had about 36,000 people. Uh, in the stands, and that was the that was the highest non-opening day, you know, attendance game of the of the season. So, I don't think it's a coincidence that, I mean, honestly, there was not a reason to go see the Astros for for a few years other than you wanted to see the team that they were playing, or you again you wanted to establish that you were a, a real fan. So, you know, now that the team's exciting and they're winning, you know, consistently more than they're losing, then. Uh, yeah, people are going to come back, and and that's an unfortunate thing about Houston. And I guess it's probably true of a lot of cities that you know the Astros weren't going to draw thirty seven thousand people when they were in the process of losing one hundred and eleven games. Um, you know, Houston is a massive city, and it's it's, it's fairly hard. You know, on, traffic is absolutely terrible. Hmm. Um, I, I took my wife and I. My dad lives in Southwest Houston, and it, it took us an hour and forty five minutes to get twelve miles to the stadium like mm-hmm. we thought we'd get there for bp and barely made it for first pitch so um i think more, as as they get better people will yeah eh, it's houston people will show up they'll, they'll find a way to make it 
Awesome. Uh, do you have a favorite Astros player? Are you a Bagwell Biggio guy? Who, who's your favorite? I, yeah, Bagwell. Uh, I, I absolutely adore Jeff Bagwell. So just a weird stance, the goatee, um, <laughs> everything. So yeah, Bagwell's my favorite. Great. Well, our guest has been James from Astros County. Make sure to check his writing out at astroscounty.com. Uh, thanks so much for joining us, James. Hey, I appreciate it. When the big league teams start limbering up in spring practice sessions, you can be pretty sure that winter will soon be on its way out. The Houston Astros, however, couldn't care less about winter's nip. They are working out in their new all-weather stadium. Completed at the cost of $30 million in time for the new season, the Astrodome ballpark has a roof that is 20 stories above the playing field. The heaviest hitters have been unable to drive a ball near the translucent ceiling. Baseball and football fans will be snug and comfortable. There are 45,000 upholstered seats. The days of splintered bleacher seats have gone the way of the five-cent hot dog. The players say the new park bats a 1,000. No sun in their eyes and air-conditioned comfort. As for the fans, can't you just hear them say, Hey, it's raining out. Let's go to the ball game." So before we get to our interview with uh, James from astroscounty.com, uh, let's do a little deep dive. Uh, Paul, we're going to talk about the Houston Astrodome, uh, which uh, has been called many different things. Its first name was the Harris County Domed Stadium. Uh, has been referred to as the eighth wonder of the world, and uh, it's a very interesting building. Fascinating. And somewhat connected to a deep dive we did a few weeks back on the Mets, mm-hmm. um, the 1962 Mets. Yes. So the Astros and the Mets came in together in 1962, mm-hmm. both expansion teams. Uh, the Astros were called the Colt 45s back then, and they were the Colt 45s up until the Astrodome opened in 1965. Do you know where the name Astro came from? What is an Astro? Astro. I've never thought about that. It's like a star mascot. Mm-hmm. As- what's what's the tie with space and uh, Houston? Is NASA located in Houston? Mm-hmm. There we go. Yeah. So I think the team was called the Astros, which was a very, very good team name. Props to them back then. There's lots yeah. of people that screw up team names, like the Pelicans, mm-hmm. for instance, or the Bobcats. Uh, Astros, very unconventional outside the box, but uh, uh, has held up well. It also lends itself well to being like the first part of words. So the Astrodome, AstroTurf. Yes, good point. Those are the only two you got. Uh, Astrolite. Was the nickname for the scoreboard? Very, very good. Astronaut. <laughs> yes, that's probably where it came from. Mm-hmm. I assume the team was called the Astros, and then the Astrodome just came naturally from that. Uh, the reason why they felt like they needed a dome stadium is because summers in Houston are very hot and apparently uh, susceptible to like lots of rain, mm-hmm. like flooding uh, or lots of heavy rain in a short amount of time which was news to me. I thought it was just hot. And the story goes that the owner uh, of the team, there was a minor league team in Houston, and he had been to too many games there where rain had caused delays. Oh, was he the owner? Uh, the Roy Hoffines guy? I feel like he was He was the former mayor of Houston, and then he like led the group to get the stadium. I'm not sure he was technically the owner. So maybe like just the leader of the investment group or something like that? Yeah. Uh, some interesting things about the Astrodome. Uh, the plain surface. Originally, the stadium surface was grass. 
It was a special type of grass that was uh, specifically bred for indoor use. Uh, of course, that did not work out well. Uh, the dome ceiling uh, had these uh, panels or panes uh, made of a, a substance that allowed sunlight in, but players quickly complained about the glare that came off the panels or the uh, came off the panes. It was hard for them to track fly balls. They experimented with orange balls for a while to see if that would help. Uh, that didn't. So to solve the problem, uh, two sections of the uh, window ceiling were painted white, which you wouldn't think would help <laughs> with a white baseball, but apparently mm -hmm. it did. Um, however, within a few months, the grass died from lack of sunlight. <laughs> and for most of that first 1965 season, the Astros played on a green painted dirt and dead grass field. And the, the clear panels also added a problem uh, when combined with the natural grass, uh, the grass tended to hold, then release moisture, and that resulted in rain uh, within the Astrodome, causing games to be delayed while the grounds crew cleaned up the playing surface. Mm -hmm. So it would rain inside the stadium, even though no no rain could get through the roof. Mm -hmm. And the outfield actually remained painted dirt until the All-Star game in 1966. So like over... 68. Or 68. So mm -hmm. over... Gosh, over a couple of years, mm -hmm. um, it was a dirt outfield. Then, of course, uh, to combat the, the grass problem, they instituted AstroTurf. Mm -hmm. um, first, it was just the infield, and then it was, again, moved to the outfield for the, the All-Star game. And it was the first stadium with AstroTurf. Right. It would make sense um, where the name came from. And uh, there's no AstroTurf anywhere anymore, right? Because it's, it's bad for your legs, so they've... Right. Yeah. Like a hybrid. I've never walked on it. Have you? I haven't. No. I feel like uh, Illinois football field used to have it. Yeah. The way it looks on TV is almost like concrete or something. It looks so hard. I always pictured it more as like spongy, but I don't think it was. Yeah. It's harder. This was the first uh, in a in a pretty long list of multi-sport domes, uh, and like perfectly you know symmetrical, perfectly circle mm -hmm. domes. So you've got the Silver Dome in Detroit, Superdome in New Orleans, the Metrodome in Minneapolis, King Dome in Seattle, and the RCA Dome in Indianapolis. Um, I guess just going back to a few basics. So it opened in 1965. The Oilers football team played there from 68 to 96. Mm -hmm. The Astros played there from 1965 until 1999. The Rockets played there from 1971 until 75. And it was also the primary home of the Houston Livestock Show from 1966 until 2002. And Houston football, Houston the college. Oh yeah, 1965 through 1997. Mm -hmm. um, some other notable events it's hosted: the 1989 NBA All Star Game, uh, WrestleMania. Uh, Elvis performed there. Evil Knievel jumped a bunch of cars there. Muhammad Ali had a fight there. Um, Houston beat uh, UCLA in basketball. In 1968, it was called the Game of the Century. It's the record for the largest attendance uh, for over 40 years, up until 2003. Mm -hmm. uh, there was a famous Battle of the Sexes tennis match there. In 1973, it's the largest crowd for a tennis match. Also, the 1992 uh, Republican National Convention was held there. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to write a blog post about this later this week, but it was a, a month-long road trip for the Astros because of that. So, oh, because of the convention? They yeah, had so uh, George H.W. Bush was... It was like the convention where he was named the mm -hmm. candidate for president, um, and the Astros had to go on a long road trip because of it. And speaking of politics uh, and presidents, in uh, on opening day in 1965, the first ever 
regular season game there, Lyndon B. Johnson, the, For the first exhibition game there, was um, was in attendance along with his wife, Lady Bird, and the governor of uh, Texas. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it was the first exhibition game, not the first. Uh, it wasn't opening day. Hmm. You don't believe me? Uh, I'm skeptical. It was the first exhibition game. Uh, we read the same Wikipedia page, and the first home run hit was Mickey Mantle of the Yankees in the exhibition game. You may have heard, President Lyndon B. Johnson's wife's name is Lady Bird. What, what, is, what is wrong with them? I feel like that's a fairly well-known fact. I agree with you that it's a strange, but... Is it a nickname? No, it's her name. Is that a deal-breaker if Kate wanted you to refer to her as Lady Bird? Uh, yes, that wouldn't be a deal-breaker. It sounds like a pet name. Yes. I'm going to refer to my future wife as Lady Bird. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's most staggering to me is that when the the Astrodome was built, it was twice as large as any single enclosure ever built before, hmm. which is pretty extraordinary. What was, what was the biggest before that? I'm not sure. Lincoln Square Mall. A <laughs> couple other notes. Uh, it um, was home to Hurricane Katrina victims from New Orleans in 2005. Mm-hmm. The Superdome in New Orleans got full, so they would ship people to Houston. Uh, also, 2013, parts of it were demolished, but it's still standing, mainly because they're, they're not sure how like businesses around it would be affected if they demolished it. Mm-hmm. And so it's just kind of there. No one uses it. No one can get in except like security and um, construction staff. A lot, of, a lot of different like people have suggested things for it or tried to get things passed, uh, different renovation projects, but um, all those things were voted down. So it's just an old, decrepit building that can't mm-hmm. be demolished. It's amazing how depressing a unused dome is. Same thing with uh, the Rams old stadium in St. Louis. It's still there. It's still there, yeah. It's just like, what do you do with it? It's, well, I guess, yeah, they only moved a couple years ago. You can't you can't really do anything of significance. It can be a convention center, but you have to have a fairly big convention to, to host it there. It was part of their uh, Houston's bid for the Olympics back 2012 for the 2012 games yeah they're gonna invest a ton to like make it renovate and good again all right well i think that's all of the astrodome facts that we have just a reminder uh lena b johnson was at the first exhibition game ever played in 1965 i was not there for opening day verified you're correct thank you all right well that does it uh for deep dive again if you have uh topics that you think would be interesting for us to cover or perhaps you'd like to come on and discuss them with us. Please email us at afootinthebox at gmail.com or tweet at us at afootinthebox. We would thoroughly enjoy that. Deep center. Andrew Jones is there. And the ball game is over. The Atlanta Braves will have their own little final bit of Astrodome history as the Astrodome gets ready to shut its doors after 35 years of hosting Major League Baseball, the Atlanta Braves will do something that the Astros themselves were never able to do here. That is celebrate a postseason series win. The Astros, sad tale continues. They have never won a postseason series. This is the Foot in the Box podcast for the week of Thursday, September 21st. So uh, let's go back and forth, Paul. Let's start with MVP. Uh, who is your American League 2017 MVP? It was a tough call. I am going to go with Jose Altuve. 
Uh, close runner-up, very close runner-up is Aaron Judge, followed by Mike Trout. Really? Um, Has Judge rebounded recently? He Yeah, he's played a lot better recently. Hmm. My preseason pick was Mookie Betts. Uh, midseason was Judge. And like I mentioned, Altuve is my end-of-the-season pick. Um, just a few nuggets about Altuve. He finished third last year behind um, Trout and Betts, so it isn't new that he's part of the conversation. His slash line this year is 348, 409, and 556, with 31 stolen bases and a war of seven. Um, he's second in on-base percentage in the American League, third in slugging, uh, first in stolen bases, which was somewhat surprising. 31 seems like a pretty low hmm. number, but no one steals it anymore, I guess. Uh, he's first in war, which is probably the biggest indicator, and then uh, also first in OPS+. Um, this is his fourth straight season leading the American League in hits. Shout out to David last time for the <laughs> TWTW on hits. Um, but Altuve is actually the first player in the history of baseball to do that. Four, mm. four straight seasons leading his league in hits. Figured Ichiro would have done that. Um, and it, to be honest, uh, you know, I, th- I thought it was a toss up until I started to look more at Altuve's um, the position he plays, and that's just so important. Um, I think if he played outfield or DH, um, you know, like Judge, I'd probably go with Judge as an MVP. But just considering the gap between Altuve and every other second baseman in the American League, um, I just think it's Altuve plays such an, an important position. Um, for example, I looked up, you know, his on-base percentage. Uh, he leads American League second baseman by 34 points hmm. in on-base percentage. Jose Ramirez is, is second. And that's by far the biggest gap at any position in the American League. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, If you're new to the program, this is a unique episode for us. It's our third annual uh, playoff preview. Ten guests. uh, Extravaganza. (laughs) Uh, We interview ten different guests to preview the ten playoff teams. There's only one October. Our next team to preview is the AL West champion Houston Astros. And to talk about the Astros, we've got James from Astros County on the line. You can follow James on Twitter at Astros County, and you can read his work at AstrosCounty.com. Welcome, James. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Good to be back. Yeah, yeah. We're, uh, we're happy to have you back. Um, so, James, this has been uh, you know, a historically good season for the Astros. Probably going to win uh, 100 games. You know that'll be nearly a franchise record. And so, you know, having not followed the Astros super closely this year, I'm just curious. You know, what do you think the key difference has been for them? You know, going from uh, an 84 win team last year to you know potentially 100 win team, AOS champion in uh, in 2017. You know, it's, it's the biggest difference from from last year to this year is is you know, it's a combination of maturity and then some guys that they brought in. And I was never a huge believer in this idea of the veteran presence until now. I mean, mm. at this point, Carlos Carlos Beltran is getting he's getting paid like sixteen million a year, uh, or just for this season, I guess, the one year deal. <clears throat> he's getting paid sixteen million to basically be like a a, a, a glorified manager. He's not. Uh, he he dropped off big time from last year, but he's been sort of a steadying presence and a guy that someone. Um, someone like Correa, like Altuve, can sort of look up to. 
and and learn from. And so his value has definitely not. I think he actually has a negative uh, war, hmm. but the the value that he's provided to the team, I think, is is sort of off the field in those quote unquote uh, intangibles. Um, but you can't argue with, I mean, the Astros catching core of, of McCann and Gaddis is, is far more valuable than Jason Castro and Gaddis. And Josh Reddick is, uh, a definite upgrade over Colby Rasmus as much as I love, you know, folk hero Colby Rasmus. So <laughs> the, the guys that they brought in have, have by and large done a, done a really good job. And that's not even talking about Justin Verlander, uh, at the trade deadline. So I, you know, I think that they got off to a really hot start. They got really, I mean, they, you know, I mean, I think at one point they were like 60 and 29 or, or something like that earlier this season. And then, and then some injuries caught up with them. And, and I remember thinking, you know, if they only win a hundred games, that's going to be a disappointment because that means something went wrong and, and something did go wrong, you know, between injuries to Keiko and McCullers and, and Correa, you know, they, they sort of came back to earth a little bit, but the, just maybe hitting their stride at the right time. Yeah, it's pretty unique. You know, Correa is probably their best player. At least, you know, him and Altuve are one, one and two. It's unique to lose your uh, your best player, your second best player, for a significant chunk of the season and still win uh, 100 games. That's you don't you don't see that often. So certainly um, an impressive season. Um, when we look at the the starting rotation, you know, you mentioned Verlander, uh, you know, Keuchel. Has also been pretty good as of late. Um, so you know those are probably one and two uh, postseason starters. Who are we looking at for starters three and four in a playoff series? You know, I think that's a question the Astros are trying to answer. Um, you know, in in May it would have been a slam dunk. You know that that Lance McCullers would have been in the conversation for for one or two, and then he he was injured, and I think a lot of Astros fans kind of called shenanigans on the Astros saying, look, you know, it's, it's a guy that has an injury history. Uh, he, he's missed a, a decent portion of the season. Uh, it's not so fair to say that in 2015, he didn't get called up until June. Uh, but he, he sort of got shut down there towards the last uh, third of the season, maybe maybe a little bit bigger of a chunk uh, in 2016 with, with some issue with some health issues. And then, you know, the, the more – you know, the kind of starts that, that McCullers didn't make. You thought, man, is this, is this dude really actually injury prone? And is, is something actually really wrong with him? Cause he's been a guy that, you know, he's been mentioned that if he doesn't cut it as a starter, then he could be an elite back end reliever, but he's really opposed to that. Um, and so, you know, I, it would have been McCullers and, and he, he had a pretty decent start his last time out, but I think there's a, there's a lot of question marks around his health. So, your default number three is as crazy as it is to say it. It's, it's the guy that, that started the season as the 25th man on the roster, and it's Brad Peacock, who's been an absolute revelation, hmm. um, you know, over the over the course of the season, coming out of the bullpen and into the rotation as those injuries mounted up. So, I, you know, it's, I think you can go three, you know, McHugh, Colin McHugh looks pretty good as of late. Uh, Charlie Morton is having a career year, and, and so I don't, I don't know that you can go – I don't know if you can go wrong. Um, you know, there, there's not an there's not an indefensible decision you could make. You know, as far as who starts three and four, because whoever doesn't start three and four is, is certainly capable of throwing three or four innings. Should should one of the one or two of those starters not not have a good outing? Hmm. For uh, for listeners that maybe aren't all that familiar with the uh, the Astros, 
Is there kind of a, a Jose Ramirez under the radar type player or two that we should be aware of that you think has the potential to just kind of go off in October and, and be a, a headliner? Oh, that's a really good question because I, I don't know. And I, I, again, I've, I follow the Astros and, and, and then in kind of everyone else I keep an eye on, but, but it's, it, you know, I, I think if you looked at Carlos Beltran and his 230 average and his 285 on base percentage, you'd think, all right, that dude, you know, he's, like I said earlier, is kind of a glorified manager. Mm-hmm. But, but I, I think every Astros fan remembers the 2004 postseason he had, where he basically turned into Barry Bonds. <laughs> um, you know that that I don't know how many people are actually looking at him to to do anything. Uh, but is certainly capable of, of maybe rising to the occasion. You know, I don't know. You know, Josh Reddick is good for he, he is a good average, uh, pretty good on base percentage, but, you know, he's not going to absolutely smoke the ball. Um, the Astros have a lot of just kind of high-contact guys. You know, Yulieski Gurriel, you know, the, the guy, the, the 30-something-year-old rookie. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, he's capable of going off on a tear. Like, they're from top to bottom. You know, they're, they're, the lineup is actually pretty stacked. So I don't know who I don't you know I don't know who's under the radar of the rest of baseball, but anybody is capable of, of just having a four for five night where they get three extra base hits. Hmm. Uh, last uh, last question here, and I, it's kind of a big one, but uh, you know, if the Astros were were able to run the table and win the World Series, uh, what do you think the narrative would be? Or I guess another way of asking it would be, what has to happen for the the Astros to win the World Series. What has to go go right for them to be World Series champs? There, there's been there, there there are two two answers for you, and I'll take I'll take those answers in order. I think the narrative, if the Astros do win the World Series, and I'm going to have to take at least two or three days off of work uh, <laughs> if that happens, because I will not be capable of of being at work those <laughs> those two or three days following. Um, I think the narrative is going to be how the team rallied. You know, they were they were in a, and, and it's debatable, and and books are going to be written. And as someone who who's always felt like I've got a book in me, um, you know, the, what what happened surrounding the hurricane with mm-hmm. Hurricane Harvey, you know, that the the city was. I mean, you know, I set up a Twitter list. I, I live about three hours outside of Houston, but I grew up there. Um, and and I set up a Twitter list of just people that you know you need to follow and, and just to kind of stay up on top of of what's happening in the city and what's getting flooded and I mean everybody was affected by it. I mean there's mm-hmm. it's not you know I have family on you know family and hundreds of friends all over the place and everybody was talking like this is really this is the worst thing I've ever seen. Um, you know whereas previous hurricanes or tropical storms you know it's it's different parts of town they get it and then. You know how much of how much of what happened to Houston at the end of of August with the hurricane led to the uh, Luno and the Astros actually pulling the trigger on Justin Verlander. Just you know, as as maybe uh, all right, let's let's do this. You know, it's kind of now or never. Uh, I think that's going to be how the team responded to the city, you know, basically being underwater uh, at the August thirty first deadline. I think that's going to be that's going to be the overarching narrative. What has to happen? in order for that to happen is, is, is the, the Indians have been absolutely ridiculous. Uh, and I hate them, but, but I can't deny that, that what they've done is, is nothing short of amazing. Hmm. So they're going to, they're going to have to catch some breaks. I mean, we're talking about, you know, the Astros got off to a fairly historically good start and then the Dodgers took over as, 
you know, in the conversation of like maybe best team ever. Uh, and then the Indians went absolutely insane there for about six weeks. So there's going to, I mean, a lot has to break right in order for the Astros to, to actually run the table, but, but it's got to be the bullpen. Um, you know, that, that if, if a starter gets in trouble, the, the bullpen been a little bit shaky, you know, Giles, Ken Giles has been, has, has been dominant pretty much for the, for the entire year, but there are a lot of question marks between whenever the starter gets pulled and, and getting to Ken Giles. So I think, I think the bullpen is going to be key because if a starter gets in trouble, you're going to need to rely on them for four, you know, three, four, maybe five innings to get to where you can get to your non-question mark in Giles at the end. And, and he's a decent, he's kind of a human question mark as it is because of he's just, he's sort of the Mitch Williams kind of wheeled off. Uh, you don't know, you know, he might load the bases and then strike out the side on the next nine pitches. Like you just don't know what you're going to get, but he's mm-hmm. been really good all year long. So I think the bullpen is going to be the biggest key. Um, you know, there there was a, and if I can take up a little bit more of your time. Yeah. Uh, in 98, you know, the Astros traded for Randy Johnson. Uh, that might have, you know, that's the team that the Astros are sort of chasing, that if they win all four games against the Red Sox, you know, remaining <clears throat> in the regular season, that's the team that they will tie for, for all-time franchise wins of the 102. Um, but, and I was at, I was at the, the, one of those playoff games that, that the Astros just ran into the Padres when the Padres got hot and went to the World Series against the Yankees. And I mean, there was just, there was just, you, they hit Kevin Brown at the wrong time and mm-hmm. Jim Larris, you know, God rest his soul, but I hope, you Take know, Cam and Eddie, yeah. I, I kind of hope that, it, I, ho- I hope that an angel, you know, kind of pokes him in the ribs every now and then. <laughs> um, you know, the, it, it's just a crapshoot and, you know, a lot has to break right for any team to win the World Series. But, but, um, you know, I, I think that's what the Astros are shooting for is just that everything lines up. And I don't think Astros fans would be disappointed if they didn't win the World Series, but, you know, get swept in the first round. You know, that's going to be <laughs> that's going to be a long off season of like, good grief. What if? Yeah. Yeah. Do you uh, I guess all that being said, you know, playoffs are a crapshoot. Do you uh, do you have a prediction that you want to put on the line? Man. No, because I'm terrible <laughs> at predictions. Uh, I'm a history teacher, so I'm I'm actually like unlike Mark McGuire, I'm actually here to talk about the past. Um, I you know I, I'd like to see the Astros if they win the pennant. You know that'll that'll be great. Um, they didn't have a, a good couple series against the Indians. I, I sort of expect them to make it out of the first round, just because of the combination of of Verlander. Uh, and and Keiko rounding into form at the end of the season, I that, I think that's sort of a given. And then whatever happens in the ALCS, you know, who knows with the Indians what they're going to do. So I think win win in the first round and and just hope for the best from that point forward. Yeah, you guys deserve some some good karma after that 2015 against the Royals, or is that 14? No, oh, I still have PTSD from that Royals series. <laughs> that was that was 15, right? That was 15, yeah. Yeah, I think was it the the mayor of Houston that had that infamous tweet? Am I remembering? It was the governor of Texas. Oh, governor that managed of Texas. To, he, he, and he he managed to jinx, jinx both the the Rangers and the Astros <laughs> by like congratulating them both prematurely on their series on their series wins. So 
you know, politics aside, screw that guy yeah, um, yeah. for for doing that. You can't you can't jump the gun on a tweet. Certainly. Well, James, appreciate your time. Uh, folks uh, can read your tweets at Astros County, like I said, and follow along at the website astroscounty.com. But appreciate your time, and we'll be reading throughout October. Hey, thanks a lot. Appreciate it. Here's the 1 1. This ball's belted to the left. That ball's got a chance. Make it three. Are you kidding me, Altuve? Three home runs. That's an MVP. What are not going on a fly ball into right center field? This ball cut off by Judge. Altuve is going to come to the plate. Throw by Gregorius. Sanchez could not make the catch. Bird into center. Springer says he's got it. The Houston Astros win the pennant. Here's a ground ball right side. Could do it. The Houston Astros are world champions for the first time in franchise history.